We, you know, some lectures you fall asleep in, others you cry in. Jane's have been in the latter uh, camp for me as she unpacks the, the, you know, doctrines about God. And uh, so it's a privilege to have you here. Thank you for coming. We're really, really grateful. And you're going to be um, preaching from 1 Corinthians today. Uh, do you want that? Are you going to read that or should you want someone to read it for you? Amazing. Okay. All right. Um, should we just give Jane a, 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 some Basil's cheer as a welcome to being with us today? And if you want to turn in your Bibles, you're going to 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25, I believe. It's on, if I remember correctly, page 859 in your Bibles. I'm joking. It, it is actually, but I looked just before, just, just now. So uh, if you want a Bible, grab one, um, take it home. No worries. It's yours. Uh, page 859. Over to you, Jane. Thank you. I was going to read it myself, but the print's too small. <laughs> Over to you, Jane. 18 to 25, great. Christ crucified is God's power and wisdom. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand a sign and the Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks... Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Jonah. Um, So two secrets I'm going to let out straight away. Um, One is that uh, when I offered this date to Pete, we completely forgot it was Mothering Sunday. Now, Pete's been ill. He's forgiven. Why did I not remember? Because I'm stupid. Okay. Um, So, uh, first of all, I'd just like to thank you all, all of you who've been involved in mothering this church into being, all of you whom this church has mothered into deeper faith. Uh, And you know what it is about mothering and what it is about being mothered. You have to keep adjusting it as people grow. You have to learn how to parent differently. You have to learn how to let your parents treat you differently as you grow. And that's the next stage for this church, isn't it? Uh, It's nothing to fear. It is growing. Um, And uh, I've been praying on and off for this church since Pete first talked to me about it, and I will continue to do so, and I'm so excited to see what's going to happen. So that's secret number one. That's my Mothering Sunday sermon. Okay. Secret number two is that I don't actually know how to preach. Um, I'm a lay person. I've never been taught how to preach. You have some very good preachers in this congregation. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my three-hour sermon on the cross, okay? (laughs) Truthfully, Pete and Dan and Jonah have sat through three hours' worth of lectures um, on on the cross. Don't worry, I'm not really going to do that. But Pete, I do give you permission to stand up and tell me to shut up when, when I've been going on too long. Um, So let's just um, pray as we start. 
come, Holy Spirit. You have already been ministering to us the love of God. Let that go deep and let us trust it. Let us not fear that it will vanish. Let us know that it is deep as the deepest love of God cannot be removed. So take that into our being so it becomes who we are as it is who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so we've got Holy Week coming up soon. Oh, by the way, just while I'm um, remembering, I think Dan wrote a really good s- essay about baptism. <laughs> I'm just going to let out a few more secrets while I'm at it. Okay. Um, so those of you who are thinking about baptism, do uh, take up that opportunity to explore it in a bit more depth. And, and um, he can read his essay to you, okay? <laughs> that was such a long time ago, Peter. <laughs> Um, we've got Holy Week coming up in a couple of weeks, um, and that's the time when you'll really be able to um, allow yourself to take in what God is prepared to do for us. Um, And I do mean God. Don't start splitting God up, will you? Don't think this is what Jesus did and the, the Father and the Spirit have got nothing to do with it. This is the whole of God, giving the whole of God to all of us in the work of the cross. And the cross was designed by the Roman Empire to be agonizingly painful and degrading. It's designed by this, one of the most brutal empires there's ever been in history as a graphic deterrent. Um, naked violence used to enforce rule. So one of the things I'd love us to do as we pay attention to the cross is let the sort of taste of it sit on your tongue so that as you approach other kinds of systems you sort of begin to smell out what will they do to maintain their power what will they be prepared to sacrifice to maintain their rule Um, what are they uh, prepared uh, to do who will they discard so as to maintain their power it gives us a kind of taste almost of how power is exercised Um, if Jesus came now uh, who would be against him that's again a sort of test that we use in relation to our systems and if we're honest some of us would not wholeheartedly against him we wouldn't mean to be but Jesus was incredibly disruptive so again just letting ourselves be converted again and using that as a, as a litmus test uh, for the way in which we approach the world. Um, and that amazing reading in 1 Corinthians um, tells us that what we're seeing on the cross is God's understanding of power, which is not ours, is it? Really not ours at all. Uh, it's the power that can never be forced to change into anything other than what it is. Nothing can make God stop being God. Nothing can make God stop being God. Um, One of my favorite theologians, T.F. Torrance, writes, "Um, the cross shows us that God loves us more than he loves himself. So if you don't remember anything else from this morning, I'd love you to take that quote away with you. God loves us more than he loves himself. Now, I look around here and you do look very lovable, but more lovable than God, who is 
love. And that's why it can't be taken away, because what we're talking about, it's not us. It's not trying to make ourselves more lovable. What we're talking about is God who is love. God will not and cannot and never will approach you in any other way except as love, because that's what God is. So if you don't feel lovable, and every one of us has things about ourselves that is not lovable, um, don't worry. It's not about you. It's about God. God loves you because God is love. And when God looks at us, what God sees is our likeness to Jesus, which God has given us. Every single thing is a gift of God. It's utterly, utterly, utterly reliable because that's who God is. And that's one of the things the cross shows us. We have done the worst we could think of to God and it hasn't stopped God loving us. Trust in that, deeply trust in that. God thinks we are more worthy of love than God is. And even though we know we're not, here we're up against the fundamental character of God. That's who God is. It's utterly reliable. God is love. So God loves us more than he loves himself. Take that home with you. Um, And the Holy Spirit has already been ministering that to us before we started. I think there's some deep ministry going on there. All Christians know that with our brains, that God loves us and God is love. It's amazing how difficult it is to let that really sink in. And I think that's because we're looking at ourselves. And we know who we are and we know we're not lovable. Don't do that. Look at God. Look at God. Um, And really that might actually be enough for a sermon. Um, But I have got a little bit more. Um, But if you switch off at that point, that's fine, because you've got the main thing I want to say. Um, During Holy Week, again, let that really minister to you. Some of the great mystics of the church, it is a sudden confrontation with the cross that turned their lives around. Um, uh, Julian of Norwich, let um, Pete and Dan and Jonah tell you about Julian if if you haven't come across her. She is a woman, despite the name, okay? Um, on her, what she thought was her deathbed, saw um, a, a, a vision of the dying Jesus Christ who said to her, this is how much I love you, in effect. Teresa of Avila, one of the great saints of the Christian church, went through such a dry period where she was still you know, ministering to everybody. People thought she was wonderful, but she knew she didn't know God. And then suddenly she was walking down the corridor in, in her convent and she suddenly saw a crucifix, a cross with the figure of Christ on it. And it it was as as though something had hit her, which was the love of God. So again, as you look at the cross, keep going back to that fundamental reality. It's about the unfailing love of God. Why is the cross the way in which God demonstrates that to us? Well, this is my three-hour lecture, which I'm not going to do today, because there are so many different theories, what are called models of the atonement. Um, And one of the important things that C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity is that models are not the reality. The reality is the love of God in Christ Jesus reaching out for us. Lots of different ways of describing it. There's just one I want to pick up. Uh, In this wonderful passage that Jonah read to us, Paul says that the cross looks like foolishness, but it's actually wisdom. Looks like weakness, but it's actually power. Um, Now that's appropriate for Corinth. 
We know a little bit about Corinth in Paul's day. Um, hugely wealthy, uh, hugely competitive place. They set up a, a, a games uh, that was a very hard-fought games. Uh, people from all over the empire, Jews and Gentiles. Very, very mixed city. So, and you can get if you read one and two Corinthians, you can tell they're quite interested in get in power. They're quite interested in. They have factions within the church. They're very competitive kind of people. So you can see this is written for the Corinthians, but it's also written for us. Because everybody brings what we've been brought up in. Everybody brings that to their faith. We can't help being the people that we are. We can't help living in the culture that we live in. We're going to bring that to our faith. Uh, And we have to keep uh, allowing God to point out to us where the values that we've brought with us are actually not helping. And you can see Paul doing that in Corinth. Uh, And what Paul says, you read it yourself and see if you agree with me, just because I got the microphone doesn't make me right. Um, Paul says that most of us come to God, and what we say in effect is, prove yourself. Make it worth my while. Meet my standards. Make my life better. Jews demand signs. Greeks desire wisdom. And he's not talking about two different races. He's talking about humanity. In Paul's day, uh, humanity was divided into Jews and Gentiles. So he's talking about everybody. Everybody comes to God and says, make it worth my while to believe in you. Um, And if they think God has made it worth their while to believe in God, then, of course, that's our achievement. God has met our standards. This is all about me. Um, I'm in charge still. If I can get myself to believe that God has met my standards, then the world continues to be arranged around me. And I can congratulate myself on my religious choices, along with all the other great things I've done. I can sort of kid myself that I deserve salvation because I've made the right choices. People out there, they haven't made the right choices. They don't deserve it. Now, I know we don't say that to ourselves, But you can sort of feel that sometimes Christians think we're the ones who've got it right. Everybody else has got it wrong. And Paul is saying, actually, that's not what's going on at all. Because one of the things you can't help noticing about Lent and Holy Week um, is that God doesn't offer bribes. Doesn't offer incentives. Remember where we started Lent, Jesus going out into the wilderness. And it was the devil who offered him bribes. Now, I personally don't think the devil could have delivered that. I don't think it was in his power, because the devil is a liar from the start. But nonetheless, he's the one who's trying to say, believe me, and you'll get all the rest of this as well. God doesn't say that. In that wilderness, the father is silent, almost absent, letting Jesus make that choice. And yet, Jesus goes into the wilderness because he's already been offered everything. He goes into that wilderness because the Father has already said to him, you're my beloved son. Now, notice Jesus hasn't done anything at that point. He hasn't started his public ministry. He is the beloved son. Every one of us, the Father says that to us. You're my beloved son. I see Jesus in you. The Holy Spirit is making Jesus in you. Every single one of us. We don't have to be offered bribes because God is offering us everything straight up front. But that's all God ever offers when I say all. God offers God always. 
what God is offering is to be our God, to be with us and to see Jesus in us. He doesn't offer us favors. He doesn't offer us advantages. He doesn't offer us security. God doesn't offer signs, if by signs we mean things that prove that we were right to believe in him. And it's amazing how, how even incredibly powerful signs, we come to doubt them. The sort of classic case is the Israelites in the wilderness. My goodness, did they see signs. My goodness. Moses' confrontation with Pharaoh, the parting of the... I mean, they saw everything. They still managed to whine and doubt. So signs don't work. Proofs don't work. Because we are capable of going on doubting. All that really works, inverted commas, is presence of God. The full and perfect presence of God. What the cross shows us, one of the many things that the cross shows us, is God offers us God over and over and over again in the New Testament. I think this is probably what the New Testament means by salvation. What God offers us is God. 1 John, John 1 rather, uh, where what it says is, um, to all who received him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God part of God's family, siblings, brothers and sisters of the Son. Um, in other words, Jesus shares with us his own relationship with the Father. And this is the work of the Spirit. Look at Romans 8, for example. When we cry, Abba, Father, it's the Spirit breathing, bearing witness with our own spirit that we are children of God. Every time you say the Lord's Prayer, that's what's happening the Holy Spirit bearing witness with us that we are Jesus' sisters and brothers. So just for one moment, either on your own or talking to the person next to you, this is what I do in lectures, okay? What did I just say? Okay, I don't, I'm not going to test you. So I don't mind at all if it's not actually what I said, because I'm going to assume in this company that it's what the Holy Spirit needs you to have heard. Okay, That's one of the great things about preaching, unlike lectures, is you can assume the Holy Spirit is actually, we hope, at work in what was actually being said. So, but I'd love you to be able to take something with you. So when you leave here, there are one or two things that you want to go on 
praying about, thinking about, digging into uh, as we approach Easter. Um, this total humility of God in relation to us is, is also complete truthfulness. God doesn't want us to be able to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're offered something less than God. Because God knows that nothing less will ever actually do. Augustine talks about our hearts being restless, looking for something to satisfy until they find their rest in God. C.S. Lewis talks about a longing for joy um, and the realization that everything that gives us momentary joy also makes us realize that that's not actually joy itself. I think that's probably one of the definitions of sin, making you constantly want more. There's a film called Key Largo um, in which the villain says, what does Johnny Rocco want? Johnny Rocco wants more. Uh, And that sort of insatiable longing that cannot be satisfied because there's only one thing that can satisfy uh, and that's God. Only God can give joy. Only God can give peace. Only God can give God and only God can truly satisfy. But in the economy of God, what you give up, you tend to get back. God doesn't actually want to deny us good things because God made them all for us in the first place. But the point is that apart from God, they can't satisfy, not for long. Only in God is all beauty, all peace, all joy, all love eternally held. That's why God's foolishness is wiser than our wisdom. We think we can have what we want without God and then keep finding that it's not what we want after all. Jesus goes to the cross because God loves us more than he loves himself. There are lots more descriptions, as I say, of what happens on the cross, but that's the one I'd love us to hang on to. Jesus goes to the cross because God offers us no bribes, just God. We don't look at our Savior on the cross and think, that looks good. I think because I am very clever and make good choices, I think that's the faith for me. That's not what God is trying to do. We look at the cross and we see what human beings will do to justify themselves at any cost. And then we see what God will do to justify us at any cost. God will offer us God. Is that enough? I mean, that's a good question, isn't it? Is it enough? Can we learn to accept that? Other things will follow, but if that's not the basis that we want God, we want God, we want God, And God is willing to give God's self to us. If that's not the basis, nothing else is ever going to follow. No signs, no wisdom, just God. I'd like to ask us all, what are the hoops we are asking God to jump through before we quite believe and trust? We all do it. We may not even be aware of them, but we do all have them. Don't worry. Remember, God loves you. Don't panic, but just be truthful. Um, what are we actually saying to God when we come in prayer? Do this for me, God, and then I'll know you're real. Protect that for me, God, and then it'll be fine. You can have this much of my life, God, but actually the rest of it I'm going to be in charge of. We do all demand wisdom and signs because we're human beings. And God is very gracious 
and uh, has an appalling sense of humour, if that's not a heretical thing to say about God. I just remember once I'd given a, what I thought was really quite a good talk about parables. Uh, and I came out of this talk and there was a man lying on the road. And I thought, oh, drought. <laughs> now I'm going to be the religious person who walks by on the other side, aren't I? And I had to stop and get out my phone and phone for an ambulance. And I thought, that is just not fair, God. <laughs> Making me practice what I preach. That's not what I'm here. So notice that appalling sense of humor that God has. God will sometimes give you what you thought you asked for. And then you'll be amazed what you have to do with it. God will sometimes give us what we think we need. Don't knock it. Be grateful. Um, but don't settle for less than what God wants to give, which is God. So again, um, could you, if appropriate, and if the person next to you is comfortable about this, put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you and just pray over the next uh, few weeks leading up to Easter that you will have a deeper and deeper sense of who God is and gratitude for God's self-gift. Just take a moment to do that for each other. Lord, we ask that you will take down all the barriers that we put between us and you. Barriers of our making, not of your making. Barriers of hurt, barriers of pride, barriers of disbelief. Lord, you know our barriers. And we pray that in your 
gentleness and power, you will dismantle them. So that we can open our hearts and our lives to accept you. The gift that you give, the gift of yourself. Come Holy Spirit and pray in us, Abba Father, so that we know we are sisters and brothers of the Son, receiving the love of the Father. Amen. Amen.